being a collective and even having the name collective is, is about actually, it's not just about me and what I want to do. Of course, I love making art. I love doing what I do. But actually, it shouldn't be like that. It should be about what the community wants. How can we facilitate that as a charity? Purposely Podcast, speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders, people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. Hello welcome to Purposely with Charlotte Nightingale, originally from the UK. This former actor is the founder or co-founder of the Glass Ceiling Arts Collective, which is based in Auckland, New Zealand. We talk about the power of performing arts to positively impact lives, how Charlotte's own diagnosis with ADHD has fueled her passion for inclusive theatre. Enjoy the episode and don't forget to share with friends, family and colleagues. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, open the app, hit subscribe, makes a real difference to the show, getting the message out there. Enjoy. Charlotte Nightingale, welcome to Pepsi Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. You're the co-founder of the Glass Ceiling Arts Collective. What's its mission? What's its vision? Really, we're about creating access to the arts for communities that don't normally have very good access. So communities that feel like they're marginalised. We work a lot in the disability community, which I am part of, my whānau part of. So yeah, we do a lot of stuff with disabled youth in particular, and just creating access for disabled audiences in general. And we work in sort of advocacy as well. Passion, obvious passion coming through really clear is for diversity and inclusion. And, and that sounds like it's based on a personal journey. Why has it become such a passion? Can you, there's things that you can point to? Um, I think uh, I, I trained as an actor and then when in my late 20s, I trained as a teacher. They were paying you in the UK, UK to be teachers and I, I'd been working in a shop for a year and not, not had much acting work. So I thought, well, I need a job. I'll go and train as a teacher. And I thought, my mum's a teacher, so, you know, like many children of teachers I was like I do not want to be a teacher so I I kind of I kind of trained as a teacher and I worked in a school in Hounslow um, that had a really diverse student had really diverse students so we had a traveler site next door it Hounslow is a very um, Indian and Pakistani community we had Somali refugees. We had a lot of um, Eastern Europeans um, who who were there too. So I went into the school where we had um, young people with various challenges, particularly the refugee children, and also a, uh, it was a big school. We had a large, you know, percentage of of disabled children in there as well. And I guess. I totally identified with the, some of the challenges because I really struggled at school. And now, you know, when I was when I was diagnosed with ADHD, and I I found out when my my son was was diagnosed with global developmental delays and autism that we have a chromosome disorder. So I have a rare chromosome disorder, a deletion at seven Q thirty five. If you if you know anything about about genetics. And yeah, and so all those challenges that I had at school, I saw in these young people and then let, and that's kind of continued with me, you know, that uh, ADHD is the biggest gift to me. It is awesome. Like I only see massive positives in, in, in it. And I, you know, when I work with children with ADHD, I really do highlight to them 
you know, there are so many incredible things about having it. You tend to be highly creative. You're very, you tend to be really empathetic and um, you're used to thinking on your feet. You can hyper-focus on things that you enjoy. Of course, you know, when I was in my maths class, my teacher was, you know, tearing her hair out. But, you know, it, it, it really can be a massive, a massive gift. And I think that we need to, as educators and as people, we need to flip and value some of these diversities. And my middle son, who who um, has always funding at school and has sort of moderate learning needs and autism, he has the most kindest heart of anyone I know. He is the kindest human in, in the, of everybody. You know, he really is empathetic and kind and wonderful. We're trying as educators to empower our young people to say, I am disabled and I am proud, rather than, you know, feeling um, that somehow they're not not valued or um, as much as somebody who is um, a typical young person. Yeah. And looking back to your diagnosis and, and when you found out you had ADHD, was that later in your teens or when, when did that, and was that important and, and how did it reframe how you viewed yourself and your self-esteem? So growing up, I had, you know, I had anxiety and I guess I had social, a lot of social anxiety and I struggled with friendship. So I was always this kind of child at school who was, and also I didn't have an inner monologue. So I was often sort of saying stuff that perhaps people were thinking, but they had the politeness not to say it. Um, so I, I sort of struggled feeling like I was different, but not really understanding what that meant. And I knew that I did really well in the arts and I loved drama and I had found my place in my local youth theatre. and. And I, I loved making, creating art. I was, you know, I loved doing visual arts and music. Um, but everything else I just used to crash and burn. So people used to think, oh, my teachers would be like, well, how come she does really well here? But over there, she's badly behaved. She doesn't concentrate. She won't focus. She doesn't do this. So I spent my whole of my childhood having these kind of challenges and also struggling quite significantly with anxiety and depression. And when I was so I was diagnosed with a rare chromosome disorder in my 30s so and that is when I was diagnosed with ADHD and realized that actually all those things that were happening were actually as a result of of being a neurodivergent person and you know over the past you know 15 years or so I think what has been interesting an interesting journey for me is that you know i i certainly hid it for a long time i just wouldn't you know would never go there with a, with someone who was going to employ me or with friendships i would hide a lot of stuff you know i've got a very um wonderful husband who accepts me for who i am which is awesome but i would hide a lot of that and now you know when a f you know quite a few years ago now i kind of realized that actually all these things are, are really amazing things and and why am I hiding them and and when I I celebrate them in my my children why is it that I am going oh I can't tell my employer that I've have ADHD because they just won't give me a job you know <laughs> you know whereas so so I think as I've got older and I've got more comfortable in my own skin as well um I've I've kind of really celebrated it and and realized that actually 
this is something that that you know I need to I need to celebrate and need to tell people about because it's really important. Yeah, and on that note, actually, do you think there's there is real value in identifying stuff earlier and then playing out a more positive kind of narrative around it, like the because you're just wondering who you are for longer. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think that, and and it's quite interesting because I've worked part time for a year or so as a senko in a school. And so many parents are really frightened of having any diagnosis for their for their young people. They don't want them to be put in a box or labeled. And I kind of I get that on one, you know, I can understand that it is kind of frightening when you've not, you know, I've been in the disability community since since birth. You know, I um I've you know, lived this incredible life. I'm very lucky, and that it's not it's not unfamiliar. But I think to some people that kind of unfamiliarity and that worry that they're going, that your child is going to be marginalised really does make you think. Well, I don't want them to have any diagnosis for anything. But for me, having a diagnosis actually was a huge weight off my shoulders. It was, it was amazing. It was really incredible. I kind of suddenly relaxed into myself and actually thought, oh, do you know, the fact that I've got, you know, five really amazing friends that accept me for who I am, and I don't have this huge amount of millions of friends that, that loads of other people does, and I, and I don't really go out all the time. That's actually okay. That's just how I'm made. And that's fine. And we can celebrate that with that can be, that is just me. That's, that's awesome. But I think growing up when you don't have a diagnosis is tough because you feel, I felt like I was just this strange person that, that, you know, didn't, didn't quite fit in you know, didn't, wasn't quite, you know, didn't quite sort of fit the mold that everybody else was, was doing, you know, liked different things or did things different, had to have specific, you know, have to do things in specific ways to make myself feel safe and comfortable. And, and yeah, I think being proud of that diagnosis is what is really important is, you know, if we get, if you have a diagnosis that the, the reality is you will get more support that's just the system we live in is that you can get more support you know if you're diagnosed with with autism you can go to several different amazing charities autism new zealand all these places to really get to find your tribe to get support and to understand about yourself if you're not then you just you know you feel the anxiety comes out of of not finding your tribe of feeling really different and having to wear a mask all the time to try and hide what is authentically yours so i think it is important to think about i mean from my from my perspective having a diagnosis was just like this massive weight had lifted and i think owning the diagnosis as well into you know into my 40s late 30s and 40s was awesome was just it it helped me to it alleviated a lot of the anxieties that I had around around myself my self-worth and made me just think actually do you know what you've got to celebrate some of these awesome things yes you know there are I'm not saying that there aren't challenges with having ADHD there are are challenges but there are some amazing incredible positives too yeah and looking back to your early life so you grew up in the UK yeah getting lots of different work experiences so in school worked in radio worked in recruitment ended up an actor and did becoming an actor was that 
a real passion dream at the time? Is that something you really want oh, to do? Tell yeah. us about your acting career. I am one of those. I think I'm quite difficult. The fact that you've said that I've done five million different jobs is quite it's quite typical of someone with ADHD, really. <laughs> um, I've tried my hand at most things, really. Right. Um, but yeah, acting was my passion. <laughs> <laughs> acting was definitely a passion of mine from very early and I was part of it at the Orange Tree Youth Theatre which was the Orange Tree is a um, a fringe kind of theatre in in Richmond and I was part of that youth theatre from in my teens and I always danced and which is quite quite interesting because I I um you know like my son I have um dyspraxia and and um but I loved dance I just loved to dance. I wasn't necessarily the best dancer in the room, but I just loved it. I loved creativity and art and theatre. And my mum was really into theatre, so I spent a lot of time in theatres, sometimes watching stuff which was a little inappropriate, I think. I remember my brother and I sitting watching something at the National Theatre. I'm pretty sure there was a bit of nudity in there and I was probably about nine. But um, it was, uh, I loved, I loved theatre. And so this youth theatre really met, helped me find a tribe. It helped me um, just find my people. And I, I think like a lot of neurodivergent women, you know, we often wear masks. And, you know, I, I think being an actor helped me wear masks better. <laughs> you know, if I had to be in, in, a, in with a bank manager and I was highly anxious, I'd made a mask of somebody who needed to get a loan from a bank. You know, I I really found acting was really helped me with a lot of things. And and it helped grow my self-esteem. And I'm not saying that the acting world the acting world is actually quite cutthroat, you know, a lot. But I think that training as an actor and acting and doing musical theatre. I did sort of bits of musical theatre. I worked on a cruise ship and then I did a little bit of TV and film and, and you know, bits and pieces. Um, and I did a lot of kind of touring. I did sort of touring in, I worked for a company that toured children's shows to kind of big theatres. That was quite fun. And then when I came over here, then I obviously trained as a teacher. I came over here and I did, I kind of didn't, I thought, ah, oh, maybe I'm done with acting now. I, I, kind of thought I, I like acting because uh, in particular working in film and TV because it's it's different you know you might have a different you're not repeating the same thing over again and I think in theatre sometimes for me doing the same show over and over again can get a little bit um, you know you have to you're always having to find something new in it but with TV and film and particularly when I worked in Shortland Street you know it's quite fast paced and it's like oh you've done a scene bash you've done you, you're going into another scene and then it's you know it's quite a, quite an exciting an exciting world really but oh gosh I can't remember are you a good actor <laughs> I don't know probably very mediocre um I I enjoy it I don't this is this I always say to everybody is I love being on stage. I love acting. I love getting a role and uh, really delving deep into it, finding finding about this person, finding about this their physicality, finding a voice, um, costumed, all that kind of stuff I love. I love being on stage and doing it. What I don't love is when I come out at the end because I don't like I don't like crowds and people saying, "Oh, well done. Oh, that was really good." So I just don't do it for that. <laughs> so I don't I don't, 
and I, and I don't like I don't like reading reviews or anything like that. I do I just do it for myself. Like, and I think that's pretty cool for me. It's not for everybody. I mean, you know, a lot of people love the kind of accolades of, of acting, but actually, it's almost for me. Everything always pulls me back to this to the stage or to performing. You know, I haven't performed for a little bit now, or well, since COVID. You know, we haven't really been doing that much performing, but there is something deep within me that draws me back to performing, to finding a character, to playing a character, for delving deep into something like that. And yeah, I it, it's almost um, in your blood, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I'm always interested in sort of nerves, anxiety with actors. And it, do you sort of lose or leave all of that stuff behind when you get into that character you talked about, when you get on stage and get that adrenaline rush? Yeah. Like, do you... I I do. Um, I think just beforehand, because I you know suffer with quite crippling anxiety at times. Just before I get on stage, I do think actually, can I do this? Can I? Am I? You know, you feel kind of almost um, like a fraud. Is this actually what I was? You know, my my husband always says, "Man, you trained for three years to do this. Like this is what you can do. Just get on with it." And I always remember that before I go on stage because I'm like, "Oh, can I do this?" Am I? Is this going to work? But there's some, particularly on stage, there's this moment, I think, where you where you switch off knowing that there's an audience there. When you're completely deep in it, when you know your lines really well, where you're really embodying a character, there's just, there's something really magical about it. And it it, it definitely removes that anxiety for me. And I, I think as someone with ADHD, I quite like the, even though I do have quite a lot of anxiety, I like the thrill of the risk taking. So I love the fact that theatre in particular is so, you know, you know that every performance that you do is never going to be the same and that things can go wrong and people can say the wrong thing and you might have to improvise or you might have to do things differently um, or something might move and you've got to have it somewhere else and you have to think on your feet. I kind of love that about about theatre. But definitely, I, I certainly, once I'm in that state, the anxiety goes and I like, I enjoy it. But I think I have to be super involved in it. Like I totally throw myself into a role um I totally you know try and embody that role and I get a little bit to the point of obsession sometimes about how this this person moves how they feel how they cry how they laugh you know um yeah and that's I guess that's some of the hyper-focused kind of stuff with the ADHD brain is that kind of being able to really focus down and really dig deep into a character um, but yes, um, to answer your question in a roundabout way, <laughs> I do, um, yeah, I do get anxious, but I think once I'm in the moment, I just, I just love the thrill of it. And brave move, going out on, on your own, start your own, you know, collective, I guess, and all during COVID as well, uh, really interesting times in terms of performing arts. Oh, totally. <laughs> what, what has the last few years been like? It's it's been tough to be honest. We started Glass Ceiling Arts Collective as as kind of just um, Mike and I as a business before we set it up as a, a charity, and I had left my job and 
we were like, we're going to get this funding and we're going to do this show and we're going to take this here and do that. And then COVID hit and it was a bit of a nightmare, to be honest, because, you know, the funding um, all sort of stopped. We couldn't perform in theatres and, you know, a lot of our work has been working Particularly, we've we've done a lot of work in multisensory theatre for audiences with profound and multiple learning disabilities. So we couldn't do any of that. You know, they the PMLD community is one of the most vulnerable communities during COVID. You know, people with high and complex needs. You know, were shielding for, for. You know, I know someone who who was basically in lockdown until only a few weeks ago. So um, it was yeah, really tough. But what was quite incredible is the amount of creativity that comes out of of having those perimeters and those boundaries. And we worked with a company, some friends of ours back in the in the UK, uh, an organization called Frozen Light, and they make um, multi-century theater for people with PMLD. And we kind of had this discussions with them around what do we do in this space and both us and and they made a digital work that audiences could do at home and ours was called the badger story and it came out of the incredible and glorious world according to the fitzroys a narrative from that and we worked with um eight or nine artists from across aotearoa and we created a digital work um that you could do in the home and you needed to just create some props, get some props um, that you had around your home. And it's basically a film, and some animated, but some um, we did in a green screen at South Seas Film and TV School, who are always really awesome um, to us, really great collaborators. And we created this digital multi-sensory theatre work. And my husband's a sound engineer, and he's quite He's particularly interested in um, and in music creation for people with um, disabilities and that what you can probably actually can't hear it at the moment. They've stopped playing the drums, but he's working with a client next door sort of creating music. He was quite interested in binaural sound, so we got a binaural mic and we went into the bush and um, recorded all these incredible sounds during lockdown and created this piece, this work which has been enjoyed here in Aotearoa um, as well as overseas, which has been really awesome. And actually, it was quite cool last week because we we work quite closely with Wilson School when we're testing multisensory storylines and narratives. And we went, we decided to go into Wilson School last week and work with the Badger Story. Um, and we did it in three of their classes with the props and it was so lovely having that kind of full circle of we didn't know what we were going to do we created this digital work it's been enjoyed by people but we haven't really had much uh, we haven't been facilitating them them watching or enjoying it but me being in there facilitating and working with um, the teachers and teacher aides and the young people there there was a, a boy who said that was 10 out of 10. And I think that will just, you know, stay with me forever because out of out of real kind of quite hard, hardship and desperation of thinking that the arts was like really going down the toilet at the time, um, creating something with amazing artists um, via Zoom, um, online, 
and then coming full circle and seeing it being enjoyed by the community that it was made for was just like the icing on the cake. And it made me feel like, ah, oh, okay. And I just get the sense that that feels like that will change some things forever. You know, that sort of experience, that feedback you got, but you know. It will. It it really will. And I think it's changed how I work completely. It's really opened open a new vista for me. I think that having those parameters and the boundaries made us far more creative, made me far more creative than I've ever been. And I think that now when we're looking at this new work that we're making, which is called Spark, and we're just in pre-production at the moment, when we take it into theatres, our whole way of working in a theatre will be really different. And we're working with some great um, young filmmakers and it's a it's actually a story about a horse so which is my other passion is horses so so um so it's it's gonna be really incredible I think by the time we get to to working in theatres and knowing that actually you can explore this narrative this work in a theatre but you can also explore it at home or you can go to the theatre and watch it but then you can also go home and enjoy it at home as well and there can be that idea of kind of repetition which is really great for the PMLD community you know seeing things several times I just think it's really opened up so many more ways of working and it's made me realize that actually yes it's great to be in a studio together I love being in a studio I love creating but we can also do so many things now with the technology that we have you know we can, you know, created the Badger story basically over Zoom. I mean, we would never have thought of that before, you know, including some of the editing and all sorts of things, you know, and the animation. You know, we did so much of that over Zoom. So you can work with anyone in the world. And that's just awesome. I don't think we would have done that before. We wouldn't have been that creative before. So there are some positives out of COVID. <laughs> there are many negatives, but I think certainly are positives yeah that we could draw from and as we draw to a close hopes for the future for glass ceiling oh so many hopes <laughs> i um i mean i guess uh, next year we're opening three three new youth theaters one in wellington one in christchurch one in Whangarei. i hope that the pedagogy that we have for these youth theaters really permeates through to to the mainstream so that people realize the the value in having diversity in your performances particularly in in youth theater which can also be very selective i uh you know i really hope this work really makes a change in general mike and i always talk about you know the power of collaborating with other organizations so that they understand the value in in having disabled youth in your in your shows I hope that this work that we're doing in multi-sensory theatre encourages other people to do the same. I think the PMLD community have a very, very few, there are very few people that work in this way. Jolt in Christchurch have done some multi-sensory theatre work as well as us. And when I was at Touch Compass, we did one too. But, you know, there's very little authentic, meaningful experiences that enable connection for the PMLD community. But I think most of all, I've realized that 
multi-sensory theatre and using different ways to create narrative is a levelling platform for all people and that somebody who is not non-disabled can enjoy the experience as much as somebody who is profoundly disabled. And I think that the work that we will be doing over the next three years is really trying to get others to think differently about how they create work so that it is accessible to more people and in particularly for the PMLD community who are so desperately underserved. I mean, wouldn't it be great if you went into an audience, into an auditorium that really reflected the diversity of our communities rather than what often happens at the moment, which is, you know, theatre is really expensive and it's, you know, when I go and see theatre, I pay to go and see theatre, I'm paying a lot of money and I see a lot of people, middle class white people <laughs> sat in the audience around me. And um, I kind of think that that's not, not, not right. And of course, the, the other thing is that, you know, our, our programmes, we make them financially. We try and remove the financial barrier. That is why we're a charity is to remove the financial barrier that exists for communities that are marginalised. Um, wouldn't it be good if if many more organisations reduced their ticket prices or gave away free tickets to people that could really benefit from having, from the, you know, the joy of, of, of theatre, the joy of the arts. We know it helps our mental health and well-being. You know, I think I'm living proof of that. Um, wouldn't it be great if it was more accessible financially to, to everybody? Yeah, absolutely. Charlotte, thank you very much for joining me on Purpose Day. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. I hope you like what you're hearing, because I sure do.